Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. coming to Grace Monroe since 2017, um, but the story that I'm going to tell starts a little bit before that. Um, so just a little bit of background. I did not grow up going to church. I didn't really care for religion and Christians and this God that people mentioned occasionally to me. Um, I didn't really care um, until I was 17. I flipped that a little bit and I became very angry. Um, I remember sitting at a friend's funeral um, and I made a vow to myself that I would never again set foot in a church. And when I went to college, I still felt a lot of that um, brokenness. Um, But I did meet some people who began to soften my heart towards Christians. they were people, the first Christians in my life that showed me kindness and love and acceptance despite my past and despite what I said about their God. Um, and when I was in the middle of my college career, I was looking for an internship for the summer. And my friend Justin um, started telling me about this internship that he was doing in the summer in a tiny little town called Monroe, Georgia that no one has ever heard of um, at this church called Grace Monroe. And somehow he convinced me to just come and see. From the very first time that I walked through the doors of Grace, it felt different. And so I ended up signing up for the program And this was the first time in my life that I not only heard God's voice, but also recognized that he was speaking to me. And this was also the summer that I gave my life to Christ. And in August, Brian baptized me in Kyle Harrison's backyard. So fast forward two years, I was about to graduate from college and I came to the realization that I had just spent four years of my life pursuing a career that I no longer wanted. I decided that I didn't want to live in Georgia anymore. I thought that all of my problems were because I still lived in this state. And so I was applying to jobs all across the United States in like Portland and Richmond and places I've never even been to before. Um, And nothing was working. So I ended up just crashing on different couches and guest rooms for the first couple of months after graduation. and feeling very scared, the most scared I think I've ever been. But I knew that if there was one place in this world that I could go where I would be surrounded by people that would take care of me and make sure that I had a place to live and an income and feel like I was still surrounded by family even though my actual family is in a different country, it would be Monroe, Georgia. Um, And I knew that if I moved back here, I would be okay. So I did that. Um, But my plan was to only stay for the summer. I lived in this little tiny loft apartment with a girl I had just met, Savannah, um, and I got to meet Chase and learn about what they were gonna be doing starting in August with this residency program. And basically, the two of them spent the entire summer 
trying to convince me that I was going to become the fourth resident and join them and Gregory in August. And I was not hearing it. I would just brush it off and say like, no, I've only been following Christ for two years. What do I have to offer? I can't just work in ministry. That's not how this works. But there was a day that I was just randomly driving in Atlanta in some odd place. I don't even know where I was. And I was asking God, look, I need you to give me a sign. I need you to plant a billboard in front of me and tell me what I'm supposed to do because I am lost. And I was at a traffic light and I looked over and there was this brick wall. And the only thing painted on this brick wall was the word grace. And I rolled my eyes and I was like, God, that's not good enough. It's a very common word. I don't, I don't think that's a sign from you. I need something more. Um, and that is when I heard him say, don't you doubt me, child. Just open your eyes. So I looked over, and the road that I had been driving on was called Monroe Drive. So I called Brian, and I just word vomited all of this onto him and told him, I don't know what this means. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to be your fourth resident. So he went to the other lead pastors and talked them into letting Monroe have four. Um, and so two weeks later, I joined the, um, the residency team here at Grace. My year in residency was the most impactful year for my own growth, um, recognizing what my passions actually are and what God has uniquely given me. And so when residency ended, um, Brian and Brandon offered me a position on staff, which I, of course, accepted. I get to wake up every morning and not only know the gifts that God has given me, but I get to use them at my job. Only God could have crafted this story of taking that scared, angry, little 17-year-old me. He took that little girl and he turned her into 23-year-old me who gets to stand here on staff at a church <laughs> and tell this story about how no matter the pain that we go through, no matter how fast and long and far we run away from God, he is always there waiting with open arms for us to come back and to just come back home to him. And he's calling us to do that. And I know that only God could have made that story. Um, he is a God of restoration. <clears throat> That's good. I haven't seen that yet, so <clears throat> give me a second. That's beautiful. Yeah, praise Jesus, huh? That's incredible. So as Kyle let you know, I... Um, I did, I was supposed to be back last night, and uh, because of weather and things, our flight got delayed, and so I landed in Atlanta at 4 a.m. this morning. Yeah, so if I don't make any sense, I just need a little bit of grace, uh, so hopefully the Lord will speak through His Word. Uh, actually, we were able to go through the generosity of some, some incredible generosity of some folks. Uh, we were able to go and take our family skiing um, in Colorado, and uh, for the first time, uh, 
my kids, you know, they've never seen more than a half inch of like Georgia dusting, you know? And so we're walking out of the airport, feet of snow outside. Uh, Jake and my youngest is just, I mean, eyes wide, mouth open. The door to the airport opens, this double door outside. He literally drops his suitcase and sprints into the nearest snowbank. So we're like trying to gather all of his stuff, pull him out of the snow. But they had absolutely, they were were loving every bit of it. And uh, and so it was just so much fun to watch them and just to get that time together. So so I appreciate the grace that y'all show to me and my family. It's it's amazing. But we were going to open the word together today. Uh, And you can go on to to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. As we come to the close of our Becoming Oaks series. So as we have the last couple months, we've been looking at uh, this call of God, this promise of God, that God takes broken things, that he takes the lost and the struggling the fearful and the lonely, and he binds up the brokenhearted. He gives sight to the blind. He sets captives free. And as this sort of signature verse of Grace Monroe, Isaiah 61 declares that Jesus himself declared when he began his ministry. He takes the formerly brokenhearted, the former captives, and he builds them into as Isaiah describes, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so the reality is that in your life, the broken places, the lost places, the, the lonely places, the struggling blind places, the angry places, God, his invitation is to come to him to find healing and hope, forgiveness and grace. And that he continues that work, not just to bring grace and mercy into our lives, but to build us up into his craftsmanship that he can use for the sake of others. Sam's story, the stories we've shared, these restoration stories throughout this journey, is also each of your stories. The places that God is restoring and calling you to be his restorers. Where's he at work in your life? What stories do you have to tell? I think most of us actually kind of go through life just sort of on autopilot. We don't take time to just pause and reflect. Okay, Jesus, what are you doing in me? What have you done with me? And what do you have for me next? And so we've taken this word restored and this acronym of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to to walk this pathway of knowing him and being used by him and that God's call, that the R of restored, that we were to be receptive, even as Sam shared in her story, beginning to recognize and respond to the voice of God. Equipped, saturated in his scriptures. Secure, confident in our God-given identity and calling. Transformed, being conformed into the image of Jesus in every area of our life so that we can live open lives, generous towards our neighbor and God's mission. And then last week, oh, sorry, two weeks ago, Rhodes was here talking about what it meant to be to live authentic lives, real in relationship with others so that we can be engaged in God's mission 
And today we come to that final D, God's call for each and every one of us to make disciples. To make disciples. Today's a special Sunday because uh, it is the Sunday before Easter, which the church globally recognizes as Palm Sunday. It was that Sunday before Jesus' fateful trip to the cross as he entered into Jerusalem for that final time. The crowds gathered around him. They've watched the way that he has healed the sick. He's uh, given strength to the paralyzed, sight to the blind. He's even raised the dead. They know the stories about Jesus. They know the stories about him multiplying loaves and fishes on the seashore. He's a miracle worker, a prophet. They've heard the way he teaches. He's the greatest rabbi explaining the things of God, teaching with authority. Could he be the one that they've been waiting for? The promised king, the savior of the world, God's Messiah. And so with the, the festivities of Passover and, and this expectation of God's revolution at hand, that they, they gather around Jesus. And Jesus begins to make his way into Jerusalem, and the crowds come around him, and they're waving palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And as Jesus makes his way into the city, they're declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21, 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought this donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So a couple of things that we can see in this Palm Sunday story. Even the cries of the people declare the character of God, and they don't even know it. Hosanna literally, literally means, save us, Lord. Save. They're looking at their lives. They're looking at the world around them. They're looking at the uncertainties and the crises, and they're, they're struggling, and they, they're just trying to make life work. They don't know if God has abandoned them or if they've done something wrong. God, save us. You know, it was a year ago, I was preaching a Palm Sunday message called Palms in a Pandemic sitting alone on a couch looking at a video camera as you all sheltered in place, I'm sure up and awake and online in your pajamas eating pancakes. Actually, some of my favorite pictures I got were pajamas and pancakes of families still on Sunday morning worshiping together. But all in that environment where it felt like overnight our world got turned upside down and a year later we're still feeling the impact of that, 
we can kind of live into this story. The insecurities and uncertainties and fears and confusion of the people and hoping maybe in this one, maybe in this man, God has finally shown up. Hosanna, save us. But then they say this interesting thing. I mean, it's like they're, like on Sunday, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you go to church and you're kind of tired a little bit and you haven't had enough coffee and you've dragged kids out of bed and now you're sitting in the, in the row and they have these songs with these really beautiful lyrics, but you're just kind of on autopilot singing the words. And I wonder if, if for them, maybe some of this was just, they, they didn't even really understand what they were saying. They just kind of got caught up in the, in the excitement and the noise. But, but they declare this, this phrase that says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's an interesting phrase because, you know, we don't actually use that idea much of, of, of representing in the name of someone or something. But really what it is declaring is that here is one that in the fullness of the authority and the responsibility represents the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name, carrying the authority and the power of the Lord is what they're saying. Blessed is this one who has the authority of God. But you can tell they don't quite get it yet because even when the crowds are asked, who is this one that represents the authority of God? They go, oh, it's Jesus from Nazareth, you know, the prophet. They're still not getting it yet. Now, a few pages later, a few days later, a lot more questions are going to be asked about this authority that Jesus has or this questioning of what, what right do you have to say the things that you say, to do the things that you do. And in fact, in this Palm Sunday march into Jerusalem, Jesus isn't just making a, a proclamation of his identity and his authority. He's actually making a provocation. He's forcing a, a, a conflict because the authority that he carries or that his followers are claiming he carries, it smashes right up against in conflict with the authority that the religious leaders think they have in the name of God. And so they're forced to make a decision. We can't just ignore this Jesus anymore. It's gotten to a point that we can't just pretend it's not happening. Is he who he says he is, which it means that he's actually God in the flesh, not just a prophet, not just a rabbi, a teacher, but God himself walking this earth with us. And if Jesus is actually God, that changes some things. Say that again. If Jesus is actually God, that changes some things. Because if Jesus is God... It means he really does have authority. He really does have power. That what he says matters. And that one day we will be held to account in front of him as the king of the universe. If, if he is who he says he is. And so this fateful week 2,000 years ago where all of this is getting stirred up in this city called Jerusalem. These questions, this anger, this animosity, this excitement, this fervor, this passion will ultimately culminate on a day that we remember and call Good Friday. 
Not because it was a good Friday, but because of the good that came from that Friday. Where those in authority, according to the world, would take Jesus, arrest him, try him, and ultimately torture, beat, and crucify him as a common criminal. And Jesus, the one with the authority of God, the creator of the world, would submit that authority, would lay it down so that he could be hung on a tree on our behalf for the death that we deserve because of the brokenness in our lives, the ways that we've rebelled against a good God. God himself would take on flesh and take that on himself so that we could be restored back to him. And the next Sunday, we will gather together and we will worship and we will declare and we will praise God. And we will say this phrase, he is risen. How do we know that Jesus had authority? That he was who he said he was? Because he broke the bonds of sin and he conquered death. And three days after being hung on that tree, he rose again from the dead. He is a living God, present and available and active. And he crushed the head of sin and reigns now over everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible declares that even though the world may not recognize it, they may not know it, we may be more concerned about all other types of authority out there. One day, Revelation says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And if that's true, it changes everything. We were with some friends last week, and we were asking this question. I'm curious how you would answer it. But what would you say to your closest friends and family if you knew it was the last thing that you would ever say to them? Just think about it, right? I mean, not to say it loud, but just <laughs> what would you say? Don't forget how much I love you. Keep following Jesus. Listen to him. He's always with you. Don't be afraid. Dream big and go for it. I'm so proud of you. Travel, explore as God's creation. Remember, God made you. You're so valuable to him. And don't ever let your situation dictate your faith. Don't be afraid to fail. Embrace mistakes. Don't be afraid to be embarrassed. Work hard and have fun. Those are just a few that we came up with. As we're thinking about, like, what would you say if you had, if you knew? I've had the privilege of sitting next to bedsides and on back porches with people who knew that they only had 
a little while left on this earth. And those are precious times. Powerful times. So what would the God of this universe, the king who reigns over everything, the Lord above all, what would he say if he knew these are the last things, the things that he didn't want us to forget, the things that he, he wanted to make sure, okay, out of everything I've done, everything I said, last time, get this. I'm telling my kids, work hard and have fun. Don't be afraid to fail. I love you. I'm proud of you. What would the God of the universe say to his kids right before he goes? Well, flip forward a few pages to Matthew 28. What does the one with all the authority who laid it all down so that we could be reconciled to him, what does he say at the close? Starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some still doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. What does the God of this universe want us to remember, to know what were his final words? I'm with you. I'm with you. And I have all authority over everything. I'm with you and I send you. I'm with you, and I send you. It's interesting, the command that Jesus gives, sometimes we can focus on the go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. But that's actually not the way that that phrase is worded in the Greek. The go is, is an assumed. The command is actually make disciples. The way it could be translated as, therefore, as you are going, make disciples. Therefore, as you're living your life, make disciples. <clears throat> therefore, as you head to work on Monday morning, make disciples. Therefore, as you move to a new job across the country, make disciples. Therefore, as you're raising your kids, make disciples. Therefore, while your seventh grader is playing soccer, make disciples. Therefore, while you're going to the movies, or we don't go to movies anymore. Therefore, while you're watching Netflix, make disciples. Make disciples. I have all of the authority, Jesus is saying. So what does that mean that he has the authority? It means he's powerful and he's good. It means that he's strong and he knows. It means that he's not afraid of anything. He's not worried for you. He's not surprised by anything. Last March, he wasn't going, oh, man, wish I could have seen that coronavirus thing coming. That's going to really throw him off. 
Forget the make disciples thing for a year, guys, while you just figure out this COVID thing, all right? No. He's not worried about recessions and economies and pandemics. He's not worried about crises and conflicts, wars and rumors of wars. Therefore, I am with you, and I am with you to the very end of the age. You are never alone. You are never lost. You are never stuck. I am with you, and I have all the authority. I am strong, I am powerful, and I am good, and I am present. Know that, and now go out there and do the things that you saw me do. Teach the things you heard me teach, and reveal to the world who I am. That's that idea of being baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's to be immersed into that life. Next week, hopefully, we will be baptizing uh, uh, people on Easter morning. This symbol and declaration of God's salvation. The fulfillment of that cry from Palm Sunday, Hosanna, God save us. See, baptism is this picture of being immersed into the life of God. And, And as we go into that water of baptism, it's this picture of this old life being washed away, of dying to my old self and then coming up out of that water into the new life that God invites us into through Christ, of death and resurrection, of the old gone and the new that God births. There's some of you this year that have decided to trust God in Christ with your life, to follow after him. There's some of you whose children have made that decision to surrender their life to Jesus, to receive his forgiveness and to walk, to follow after him. And baptism is simply that public declaration of our faith in Christ, that powerful picture that we are born into a new family, that the old is gone, the new has come. So Jesus giving this command that as you're going, make disciples. And the word disciple, methetes, just simply means learners. Those who are following after the ways of Jesus. See, this restored series has actually been building on itself, if you haven't recognized that. At first, as we become receptive, recognizing and responding to the voice of God and saturating ourselves in his word, then we become confident in who he's made us to be, transformed in every area of our lives so we can live open-hearted with authentic relationships and engaged on his mission. It's a process of God inviting us into deeper and deeper places with him. But I think sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking that the highest goal of our Christian faith is just to grow more. And some of you actually are are paralyzed or stuck or you actually feel stagnant because all you're trying to do is just keep consuming and consuming, growing and growing, and you're believing this lie that there's some sort of marker out here that if I could just get here, if I could just memorize this many verses or be, get rid of this junk in my life, or if I could just you know, know the Bible and have all the answers, then God can start to use me. That's a lie from the pit of Hades. God invites us into a journey with him that from the beginning, I am with you. And as you're learning from me, teach others the things that you're learning. Wherever you are, as young or as early as you are in that journey, God is inviting us to grow and to multiply.
In fact, if growth is unrestrained, if that is all there is, is just unrestrained growth, it actually becomes unhealth. Have you ever heard of a guy named Robert Ludlow? Robert Ludlow, the gentle giant, the largest man who has ever lived. Born in 1918, perfectly normal, 8.7 pound boy, born in Alton, Illinois. But by his first birthday, Robert Wadlow weighed 45 pounds and stood three feet, three and a half inches. He kept growing, towering over his father at age eight. The first picture, this is Robert Wadlow. I said, Lolo, Wadlow at 10 years old with his older brother. Go to the next picture. 17. Standing at 8 feet 4 inches in high school. And then last picture. This is 21st birthday. Those aren't little people in the picture next to him. Those are ordinary grown men that look like toddlers. And the next year, Robert Ludlow, Wadlow, would be dead. His body couldn't sustain the growth. By the time he was 10, he was wearing braces on his legs. And they said that when he died, there was no sign that he was going to stop growing. A malfunction in his pituitary gland that kept secreting growth hormone into his body so that he would grow and grow and grow. And it killed him. Because we don't measure maturity in life by growth alone. At some point, maturity isn't about growth, but about reproduction. And there's some 40, 50, 60, 70 years of just trying to grow more. I just need to grow more. I just need to grow more. And God is saying, I have given you decades of life and lessons, failures and struggles, successes and celebrations. I want your story to re reproduce my story in the life of somebody else. Who needs to know me? So where do we start? Well, first, we have to answer that question. Who is this Jesus? Is he the one that has the authority of God himself? Because if he is, what he says matters. And if he tells us to do something, When I remember in high school, I had the privilege of being discipled by a guy who introduced me to Jesus named Greg. And I can remember at one point Greg saying, he's like, everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Everybody needs somebody in their life that they are learning from that's challenging, challenging them, 
helping them to grow, to wrestle with the things of God. Everyone needs a, a Paul, an older figure, a spiritual father to learn from. But we also need Barnabases. We need people alongside of us in this journey that help us pick us up when we fall flat on our faces. But we all, God's inviting us to recognize need Timothy's. That younger generation, whether younger in faith or younger in age, that we are pouring into. And so as we've done this whole series, just asking this question, where are you on this? When you look at your life, this call to make disciples, to intentionally apprentice others in the ways of Jesus. That simple 15-second metric, red, yellow, green, Just right now with God, where are you on this call to make disciples? Red, it's not happening at all. Yellow, I'm learning, struggling. I'm kind of trying to step into it, stumbling. I feel clumsy. Or green, thriving, flourishing in this call, this command, this commission of God to make disciples. Where are you on that? And if you're in that red and that yellow, I would encourage you. And some of you that are still just trying to even figure this thing out, this Jesus thing out, is first yourself to begin learning from others. Who's your Paul? Who are you going to to figure out how to walk in these ways of Jesus? So the greatest gifts in my life from God have been the men that God has brought in my life to learn from. Now, some of them have been people that pursued me. Greg in seventh grade grabbing our little group of friends. But some of them were people that I intentionally went after and pursued. When I graduated from college and took a job with Young Life, and, and now I was supposed to be a leader, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd just gotten married. I was an idiot. And so there was a, I had an eighth grade Sunday school teacher named Sonny Newton. Sonny Newton worked for Chick-fil-A. I, I, he always super kind to me, seemed like he had his life together. And so I called Sonny up, and I said, hey, Sonny, would you be willing just to meet with me? Once a month, could we just get coffee, get Chick-fil-A? And let me just ask you questions about things I'm struggling with. And he actually agreed. So for a couple of years, I would, on Friday mornings, would drive and go meet Sonny. I got him Jamie Winship. And even two weeks ago, I felt like God was reminding me of this call in my own life that I need older spiritual fathers to learn from. People who've pastored longer than I have. And there's a guy that I knew about through a, a member of my family up in Knoxville, Tennessee, about 25 years older than me, pastoring. So many of the things that he's doing and passionate about. And so I actually drove up to Knoxville to sit down with him in his office and ask him, hey, would you be willing to help just be a mentor in my life when I'm things I don't know what to do? I would encourage you to start there. Who is pouring into your life? Where are the areas that you're struggling? Who is discipling you? If you're a young mom, who's another mom that's 10 years ahead of you that you respect, that you like, that you see the way that she's raising her kids, navigating those parenting years? Just ask her, hey, will you get a cup of coffee with me? I think sometimes we want things to get like packaged in these like neat little units and it's like, oh, I can sign up for this or I can do this or give me step A, B, and C. And God's like, just go get coffee and have a conversation and learn from somebody. 
If you're a, a young uh, professional that's just getting started in your career, find an older guy and go start hanging out with him. If we want a disciple-making church, there's two sides of it. There's people that need to learn, and there's people that need to be pouring out. And there are people sitting probably right next to you that would love to get, buy you a cup of coffee and share some stories of successes and failures. If you're struggling in your marriage, don't just go get wine with a bunch of other girls that are also struggling in their marriage. Go get coffee with a woman who has been there, done that, and made it through. Because I guarantee you, she will look back at her marriage and say, oh yeah, there were some times, sister, that I wanted to give the whole thing up. That I looked at this man next to me and thought, why did I marry that idiot? That's who you need to talk to. That's who you need to ask, how did you do it? And there's some of you, or all of you, actually, all of us. But there's a seventh grade boy. There's a 17-year-old college girl. There's a 27-year-old young mom. There's a 35-year-old struggling guy that God's inviting you to step into their life, to speak words of encouragement and to keep pointing them to Jesus. Would you dare to ask God that question? Who do you have for me? If you're calling me to go and make disciples, who do I start with, God? Who do you have for me? And then take the risk. I know just from working with men for a number of years, that thought is one of the most terrifying thoughts of actually being vulnerable enough to invite somebody into your life to talk about spiritual things, to pray together, to open the Bible together. But let's go back to the authority. God said, I am with you to the very end of the age. You're not alone in it. His grace is enough. So we'll end with this word picture, and then we'll continue to worship together. Man, I want us to get that. <laughs> Talk about changing our community. If you went this afternoon, some of you, and made a phone call, hey, will you start meeting with me? Because I want to learn something from you. Or some of you that went after some young men and women or signed up to come be a lug leader or a D group leader or go work with the football team at the high school, all of these opportunities that are right in front of us, they don't have to create them, they're right here already to begin pouring our life out into the next generation. Like I said, we went skiing this week, and uh, none of us, Sadie did a little bit when she was growing up, but none of the rest of us had ever done anything like that before um, or knew anything about what we were doing. Our kids had never done anything like that. So we spent our whole first day just at ski school and uh, on the bunny slopes. And so you can, uh, there's a picture here of, uh, this is Jaken and his instructor, David, teaching Jaken how to ski. 
And uh, Jaken, so was fairly confident, if you know my son, you're not surprised by that, that the moment that he actually could figure out how to point the skis and go, he was pretty convinced that he could ski a black diamond. In fact, he, uh, we spent the whole first day on the bunny slopes, and the second day we actually went, it's like greens, are like the easiest hills to go down, and, and we spent all our time on the greens, and, and every time blue is the next level up, every time we would pass a blue, I would hear Jake in going, Dad, 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 let's do the blue, Dad. And I mean, I'm terrified. I barely am able to stand up on my own. And I'm like, buddy, you're not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And he would be so mad at me. I mean, he was convinced. But so if you can't go to the next, this is, uh, this is Jake and his uh, skiing abilities. That's, I don't know if you can actually see that. He's the one with his, you know, doing the, they call the pizza. When they're teaching you to ski, this is amazing. The instructor would stand in front of, of Jaken. And he would start going, and he would, he would move his feet the way that he was supposed to put his feet, and he would he'd be looking back, he'd be telling Jake, just do exactly what I'm doing. Just do exactly what I'm doing. And Jake would just follow behind, about two feet behind him, and they would just make their way down the hill. And every time that he would stumble, or every time that they would get out from under him, and he'd go shooting off across the hill, the instructor was right there to kind of bring him back, to pick him up. Just follow right behind me. Just follow right behind me. Just stay with me. In fact, there's a... There's a two-year-olds out there with their parents using a hula hoop. And they would put the hula hoop around the kid and they would send them down the mountain. But the entire time, the parent is just holding on to the hula hoop and just following behind that kid, teaching them, directing them, correcting them. And as I was watching that, I was thinking, why do we think when it comes to following in the ways of Jesus that we're just on our own to figure it out? Or that we have to have somehow arrive at some sort of like spiritual knowledge or success. We had to be ready to ski black diamonds before we can get on the slopes. When God is saying, hey, just, just stay right with me. Just stay right with me. Oh, you fell down again? All right, it's all right. Come on, let's just stay with me. Just stay with me. And we move from the bunny slopes to the greens to the blues until we're finally able to fly down the hill. God has something for your life. God has someone in your life that he is inviting you to engage in a way that will not only change the rest of their life, but yours. Who is your person? Let's make disciples. We stand with me as we worship together. I want to pray over us. God, on this Palm Sunday, we do declare that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord. And in those ancient words, Hosanna, save us. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus, even right now, out loud, we declare your lordship over our lives. May we surrender to your ways as the king of all kings. Lord, for any person here that doesn't know you, that still feels lost or alone, struggling, 
I pray you speak a word to their heart even right now. And if that's you that haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your King, that are still carrying the weight of your own sin and struggles, would you this morning receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? Acknowledge to Him that apart from Him we're lost and broken. Confess. And receive His forgiveness. But for most of us in here that have trusted Christ, May we have the courage, Lord, to follow after you. Lord, will you call to mind who are the people in our lives that you're inviting us to engage? Lord, will you show us the next step that we'd follow close after you as you lead us forward? Lord, we need you. Thank you that you choose to use us. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.